What's going on? It's Kilo, and we're back for another episode of the regular podcast on the regular network. It's real. All right, let's get right into it. I'm not going to hold y'all up for long. I never tried to. Um, before we do anything, though, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure you go to Instagram, the regular network, and follow us. Make sure you follow us on the Reddit at the regular topics. You know, we're getting, we're getting things going in there. Hopefully we get things going. I need y'all to jump in there though, so we can discuss some of these, some of these good things. If you ever have any topics you want me to get into, make sure you email me at regpodcast at gmail.com. I'll get in there, check y'all out, respond to you, or I'll respond on here on the show live on there. And we can discuss whatever it is you want to discuss. Like I said, you can always hit me up if you want to debate anything. I'll give you five minutes. You can debate if you stump me. Again, you get free merch. You know, a lot of y'all feel like, oh, you don't know what he's talking about. Okay, cool. Well, come on and debate me. Let's get it in. All right. First thing I want to talk about is something. Of course, some of y'all know I'm in Atlanta, right? So one of the biggest things going on in Atlanta right now, Atlanta right now, is this massive push by the Fulton County District Attorney to push RICO cases onto the street guys, the gangsters, the gangs. They're throwing the RICO Act at them. State RICO Act is not a federal thing. It is a state thing, but they are putting a lot of resources on it. And they are going hard to clean up the streets and stop the violence in Atlanta. You know, I guess they felt like long it's been long enough where we've asked peacefully, stop the violence. They have people marching in the streets, protesting when someone gets killed, stop the violence, put the guns down, all this stuff. They said, okay, that's not working. We're about to do what we can and lock these people up for real. They say 80% of all the, the violent crime in Atlanta is happening because of gangs. I don't know, you know, how they exactly put a number on that. But that's their estimation, and that's what they're sticking with, and that is really how they're pushing these RICO acts, uh, these RICO cases on a lot of these gangs. And part of what's going on in Atlanta is with gangs and the gang culture here, there's a lot of famous musicians or famous rappers that are involved with some of these organizations, right? And they are not being spared when it comes to this stuff, okay? So recently, within the last week, Fonnie Willis who's the Fulton County District Attorney, she went on the news down here in Atlanta and said, two high-profile RICO cases are coming within the next 60 days. That's big. The reason it's big is because it set a lot of different hip-hop outlets on a frenzy, really, to try to guess and speculate and figure out who she might be talking about. I'm not going to say who I think. Of course, I have some thoughts on it. I'm going to discuss the whole overall situation, but I'm not going to say names and things like that. Most of us have one name in particular that it looks like everybody is agreeing with that they're definitely coming up next. But it seems like the second Rico case is what everybody is up in the air about. I've heard some good theories. I heard, you know, some speculation is going on and, and, and it's about to get tough for, for, for some of our favorite rappers out here right now and it does not seem like they plan on stopping honestly because Atlanta is gentrifying and the city officials are not running from it they feel like they want Atlanta to be gentrified the same way that the other big cities have been Atlanta is a huge city 
it's considered a world city, the largest airport in the world here, the most airport traffic in the world is in, right in Atlanta. People come from all over the world to this city to do different business or move here, start a family here, go to school here, you know, world-class technology school, which is Georgia Tech. They are, and this city is run by black people and they are sick of the crime. They don't wanna see, you know, people killed in the streets. They want gentrification to happen. They are not running from it. They feel like it will boost the city. And, you know, if you are a law-abiding citizen and you're a taxpaying citizen, you are probably not fully against gentrification. You know what I mean? And the first sign of gentrification is always the tough on crime stuff, tough on violent crime. That's that's my theory. And I think that's proven in, in the track record in America. The first push you the first major push you see is tough on violent crime. They kind of get laxed on drug use because you know who's coming in and you know that they use drugs. Tough on drug use, uh, they get lenient on drug use and they get hyper vigilant when it comes to violent crime, you know, so that they can use that as, you know, we aren't going to move black people out. We're just going to move violent gangs out. A lot of those violent gangs in areas like Atlanta just happen to be black. So if we have to destroy a bunch of families to get those people out of here, then so be it. And then in the aftermath of that, you have a bunch of vacant lots. You have a bunch of neighborhoods with a bunch of empty houses. Then hmm, some investors start to buy houses in those areas. And then the city says, well, since investors own those houses now, we can raise property taxes now because this is an investment. And the collateral damage is the people in the area who can't afford the higher property taxes. So then they're forced to sell or move out or be foreclosed on or whatever the case is. Have tax liens against their house, all that type of stuff, right? So let me dial it back. Atlanta is not running from gentrification. Atlanta is, you have some advocates for affordable housing, like attorney Gerald Griggs. He, I interviewed him on Three Minutes with Kilo. He's an advocate for affordable housing. A lot of people complain about the price of housing in Atlanta right now. But it's not stopping them from renting. It's not stopping them from buying at these inflated prices. People have the money to do whatever inflation wants to do and whatever gentrification wants to do also with the area. People are not slowing down on buying. Okay, so the tough on violent crime thing is going on right now. And Fonnie Willis is right at the helm of it. She's steering the ship. She's not playing. Let me let me go into a little bit of background about Fonnie Willis because I think I need y'all to understand who this district attorney is. She is not to be played with. Um, let, let me just go into her background real quick. Fonnie, Fonnie Willis is the Fulton County District Attorney. She was born in Los Angeles. She went to Howard University for her bachelor's. Then she went to Emory Law School. Emory is in Atlanta, right? She's the first woman in history to be the Fulton County District Attorney. The person that she beat in the election was a six-time district attorney in Fulton County, her former boss. She beat him in this election, okay? Again, this lady's not, she's not a joke. Let me just read this real quick here. Willis graduated from Howard University and Emory University School of Law. She spent 16 years as a prosecutor in Fulton County District Attorney's Office. Her most most prominent case 
was the prosecution of the Atlanta public schools cheating scandal. Do y'all remember that? That that was real big when I first moved to Atlanta. They were prosecuting the teachers for cheating and helping kids pass the standardized testing, right? So she is the person behind prosecuting that case. It was a massive case. They sent a bunch of people to jail for it. She's she's not playing. She's not like, oh, I, you know, she's not a race warrior or ra uh, racial justice warrior. She's a social, true, like she wants crime lowered. She don't care who you are, black, white, whatever. She's coming. Okay. Uh, in 2018, she went into private practice. That same year, she ran for the seat. Uh, for a seat on the Fulton County Superior Court, she lost. Then in 2020, she was elected district attorney of Fulton County, defeating Paul Howard, a six-term incumbent and her former boss. Okay. Again, I, I say that to say she's not playing. Let me read this also. Fani is a career trial lawyer with deep and broad prosecutorial, prosecutorial experience. She has led over 100 jury trials and has prosecuted hundreds of murder cases. Hundreds. So ladies, you know, we talk about murder cases here, not to mention other serious crimes that she's been involved with. She has prosecuted many other serious crimes, including crimes against women and children. Fani's 19 years of experience as a prosecutor has given her a deep commitment to focusing her office's prosecutorial efforts on the most dangerous offenders and removing them from society. Part of that commitment is making sure that her office's efforts are focused on those cases while also bringing innovative reform to Fulton County's criminal justice system that diverts offenders to a better life before they become a threat to the community. Okay, that's on her, that's in her like bio on the Fulton County government webpage, right? It's in there that she's essentially tough on crime. She's not playing she is also known for bringing charge, uh, bringing an investigation against Donald Trump for voter fraud or for attempting to influence the election fraudulently. You know, I guess Donald Trump was making phone calls down in Georgia to election officials a couple years ago. She started a grand jury to investigate Donald Trump. So, again, she is making her name right now. She is going to go down as a legend. Regardless of what go goes on from here on, she will be known as the person that put it into motion to take down violent gangs in Atlanta. She took down the Atlanta public school cheaters and she attempted to get Trump out of here. She's not playing and she's not stopping. Right now, let me tell you what they're doing right now in Atlanta. The police have this task force called Operation Heat Wave. Right. And the reason they call it heat wave is because they want it to be so hot on the streets that the gangs feel like they can't operate. Literally, this is what they're attempting to do. They want to lock so many people up that it scares gangs into no longer operating. We know it doesn't work exactly like that, but I see the angle. I see what they're trying to do. Atlanta police captain Ralph uh, Woolfolk, he went on the news and he said this. We were able to take out some of the highest ranking rolling 60, 60 Crip gang members here in the city of Atlanta. Now, again, like I said, we, we all speculate on which rappers will be targeted next in these high profile Rico cases. If you know what rappers are closely affiliated with the rolling 60s, then you can kind of guess who they're about to be targeting next. Like I said, I know who I think. I'm not going to say it on here because that's just bad juju, but... You know, y'all can speculate on that right there. 
but they they are targeting they have a whiteboard full of names with a lot of different gangs on them and they're coming after every single one of them i don't think they plan on stopping even if you as a gang stop operating and say you know what we're about to hang it up i don't think they're done with you i think they still want a piece of you uh fonnie willis is so cold because she says she's specifically using the rico to maximize the amount of time she can give these violent offenders or who they're calling violent offenders they want to be able to wrap up as many of the gang members as they can in these cases. And the best way to do that is RICO. I think this is the first time a lot of us are really hearing about a state using a RICO case, using RICO charges like this. Normally, when we hear about the RICO, we hear about some massive drug ring or a massive fraud ring in the federal system. Right now, you know, this is this is monumental, really. And I wouldn't be surprised if other states started to use it the same way instead of just because you, you hear about gang cases and, you know, gang charges. They enhance sentences normally. But when you start and, and normally it's used on the back end after you get convicted of your crime, then they'll bring up your gang affiliation in the sentencing and get you an enhancement so you can get more time. Right. The way she's approaching it is. She's going at it, adding the gang element in on the front end, making it a RICO case. So you're so the entire range for your sentence is just higher off the off the bat. You're not even looking at the same type of time you would be if you just as a singular person rented a car that somebody ended up shooting out of and killing somebody. Right. You would be looked at as an accessory to murder. Maybe if you did something like that, if you weren't involved in the planning of it when they make it a rico case you're being charged it's pretty much like you have something to do with the murder just as much as the shooter does right pretty much so Fonnie willis has definitely been on record saying that she wants people to get life for the charges that are in this rico case so with them charging rappers as the head of these organizations and connecting dots and showing how they are actually calling shots to bring forth violence in the streets it's going to be tough to beat any of this stuff for any of these people the only way to get out of some of this is for you to tell and we know that they already have people telling as i said before so man i, I want y'all to you know pay attention man when you out here you have to know who is who is leading the prosecution in your county or in any district that you are operating outside of the law fonnie willis is a black woman she's from l.a she went to an HBCU. If y'all know anything about black women, when they get into the professional field, whatever profession they're in, they are some of the most, I want not hard working is not the word I'm looking for. It's the, you know, people who take their job very, very seriously. That when I was in the military, they call it Joe Navy. Like black women are the most that anywhere I see them at. If you go to McDonald's and they work at McDonald's, they're normally the one, like, a, like an, you know, an older, mature black woman. They're normally the ones regulating everything. They're normally the managers telling everybody what to do. If you go in the military, black women advance very quickly because they follow instruction very well first. Secondly, they're ambitious. They don't like to stay in the same spot for too long. They want to grow. They want to succeed. They want to exceed expectations. It doesn't matter if you go into the police force. They want to... They might not have as much success in the police force, but they, they try. You can definitely tell they take the, their job seriously. And the same thing in the court system. 
Many people have been prosecuted by black women who have felt like, why are you going so hard? It is what it is. Okay? So, you know, I want y'all, y'all look up Fonnie Willis. She is not a joke. She is not to be played with. And she's coming for y'all, man. You know, y'all better brace for shock if you're one of these people operating like that because she's coming. Okay? And, and speaking of Atlanta and Georgia politics and things, I wanted to talk about Stacey Abrams because in about, what month is July right now? In four months, less than four months now, Stacey Abrams will be going up against Brian Kemp again for a governor showdown, governor's election showdown. And, and they'll be battling. This time, Kemp is not in charge of the election, so he won't be able to purge a lot of voters off the, off the registration list this time. But man, this is about to be an interesting one because Stacey Abrams seems to have doubted back from some of the some of the more radical things she was saying before, and, and that she's full blown, pretty much in line with what the Democrats, national federal Democrats, are into. She's pretty much doing what she has to do to win now, and it's still going to be difficult because Georgia is still a state where there are more Republicans that vote than Democrats. I would say there's probably more Republicans, period, than Democrats in this state. So even though Stacey Abrams did a lot with the fair, with the, uh, fair vote initiative, she still has a, a major mountain to climb. Um, I, wanna, I wanna give y'all some quick info about the vote. So, in the the last election in 2018, where Stacey Abrams went against Brian Kemp, Brian Kemp won that election by 55,000 votes, which is a very slim margin for 3.9 million total voters, right? And another interesting thing about her losing by 55,000 votes, before the election even happened, Stacey Abrams called foul because before this election, before that last election, Brian Kemp was Secretary of State. And in Georgia, the Secretary of State is in charge of the elections. He's in charge of all the rules for elections. He's in charge of who can stay registered. He's in charge of where they can vote, when they can vote, all of it. He was in charge of it. Before the election even happened, he purged 50, 53,000 voters from the active registration list. For her to lose by 55,000, even though that's still 2,000 short, she called it out beforehand. She didn't wait to see if she would win or lose to say, hey, he just did something foul. Literally before the election, she said, they just took 50 plus thousand people off the active registration thing. And look, she lost by 50,000. 1.9 million vote, 1.97 million to 1.92 million Stacey Abrams. She lost that. But I think an interesting point is, or, or thing to discuss, the primaries last time. The primary, Brian Kemp went against Casey Cagle, and Brian Kemp had 400,000 votes uh, to Casey Cagle's 178,000. On the Democratic side, Stacey Abrams went against Stacey Evans, right? Stacey Abrams had 424,000 votes, and Stacey Evans had 130,000 votes. So in the primary, Stacey Abrams got more total votes than Brian Kemp. But we know things changed in the election, so another... Looks another 2 million people, or almost 3 million people showed up to the general election that didn't show up in the primaries. 
I brought that up to show you again what the primaries look like this year, right? And, and I'm bringing up the primaries because that gives you a good look at how active and paying attention or how aware the Democratic voters are or the Democratic or Republican voters are. If people are voting in high numbers in the primaries, that means they are on alert for that year's elections. So let me let me give it to y'all real quick. Stacey Abrams, this is the first time I've ever seen this for an election at this level, for a governor election. Stacey Abrams on the Democratic side had no opponents. She got 100% of the votes. Not even a write-in candidate didn't even get a vote. She got 100% of the Democratic vote in the primary. 727,000 votes. So let's think about that real quick. That's 300,000 more primary votes, which is the, the election that happens in May. That's 300,000 more votes than people that voted in the primary, Democratic primary in 2018. That's a large jump. And that's mainly due to the work that she's been doing over the last four years to get people voting and registered to vote and, and active in the election process. However, the same is shown on the Republican side. There are uh, five people who received enough votes for it to even show up on the rolls. Brian Kemp won the Democratic, I mean, the Republican primary. And with them splitting votes this many ways, he still got 886,000 votes. So with him only getting 73% of the Republican primary vote, he got 160,000 more votes than Stacey Abrams did in the primary. David Perdue got 21% of the vote in the primary. He got 261,000. Uh, Candace Taylor, she got 41,000. Catherine Davis, who's a black woman that ran on the Republican side, she got 9,000 votes. And Tom Williams got 3,200 votes. So let me, let me show you what I'm trying to say here. On the Republican primary ticket this year, 1.2 million people voted on just a, so that that shows me versus the Democratic side were just 727,000. So 500 more thousand people voted in the in the primaries on the Republican side than on the Democrat side. Now what does that say? That says that Republicans are on high alert this year for the election. Being that I'm not a Republican and I've never been a Republican, I don't know what efforts are being used to galvanize people and get voters riled up and pumped up. I'm not sure. I don't know what they're using. They must be using some social media site somewhere. I don't see it on Facebook. I don't really see it on YouTube. I don't see it on Instagram. I don't see it on Twitter. I don't know what they're using. But they are getting Republicans pumped up to vote. I don't know if this many voters has ever voted in a primary in Georgia ever. 1.2 million people voted. And just in the last primary 2018, only 500,000 people voted. So they almost tripled their primary votes in four years. So when Stacey Abrams went and started promoting voter registration and, hey, get out there and vote and all this, it did help her. It, it helped her a lot. But it also pumped up the Republicans as well to say, hey, Y'all need to get out there. You'll see what they're out there doing. They're trying to do this. They're trying to do X, Y, Z. And we see how many Republicans actually came out to vote. If, you know, I don't really know. And 
I don't know how Stacey Abrams is going to win this election if the Republicans are this aware and alert when it comes to voting this year in the governor's election. On top of that, Stacey Abrams' base is mainly black people of Georgia. Black people don't make up that large of a chunk of Georgia. So then you have the liberal, democratic, white people also who will vote for Stacey Abrams in large numbers, but there are not that many of them. It's not a whole lot of liberal, uh, democratic, white people in Georgia. So with black people currently feeling the way we feel as a whole about the Democratic Party, it's a good chance a, a significant portion of black voters will also choose Brian Kemp in his in his Republican ways. There's a good chance. I'm not saying that it'll be 50-50 with the black vote, but it will be, it, I don't know if it'll be 90% for Stacey Abrams and 10% for Brian Kemp. You could see a large chunk of black voters vote for Brian Kemp. Not saying I'll be one of them because I'm voting for Stacey Abrams, but it's it's about to get, it's about, to, I think this would be her best chance of ever winning. But with all the new voters in Georgia, I, I'm just looking at these numbers. I don't see it. It's just not, it's not even close. Actually, in last election, in the primaries, Stacey Abrams got more total votes than Brian Kemp did in the primaries. So with her, with him getting this many more votes to her and the Republicans voting this much higher at a higher number than the Democrats, I'm, I don't see it, man. She might get, she might get cooked this trip, y'all. That's tough, man. It, you know, this was her best chance, I think. And I mean, unless she continues attempting to become governor just forever, I don't know, man. This was her best shot. This was really her best shot, man. Y'all let me know what y'all think about it. If you live in Georgia, you know, weigh in. Let me know how you feel about this election coming up. If you are black, how are you? Are you getting warm and fuzzies about the Democrats? Or are you giving them the cold shoulder? How you feel? I want to know how y'all feel. I know how I feel. I'm just supporting Stacey Abrams specifically, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm supporting I'm supporting her. Now, off off of current news and all this good stuff, I want to big up somebody who I just can't understand why they don't get more attention in mainstream media, especially mainstream black media. All of us talk this. Oh, man, excuse me, y'all. All of us. We like to talk about this black excellence stuff and we have some excellent black people out here, but it's like we feel like we need to wait for them to come throw themselves in front of us like we can't do the research and big them up without them sitting in front of us. You know, you can support these people. All you have to do is start researching, say black inventors, black mathematicians, black scientists, black investment gurus anything you can find them on your own and then shout them out if they never see you if they never say thank you who cares you're not doing it you shouldn't be doing it this for them to see it you should be doing it to spread the information to other people so that we can learn about them and it's not my first time talking about this guy so the reason i always feel like i need to start with him though is because i feel like he's the smartest man on the planet that's what i feel he's a black man from Alabama, okay? His name is Lonnie Johnson. And I feel, this is just me, I think Lonnie Johnson is the smartest man on the planet. If y'all think somebody's smarter than him, y'all let me know. 
Tell me who you think it is. I, I'll put Lonnie Johnson up against anybody. Smartest man on the planet, man. He's he's aerospace engineer. He's everything. Let me read a little bit about his bio. Lonnie Johnson was born October 6th, Libra, 1949 in Mobile, Alabama. So you already know what era. He, he came up in civil rights fight, Jim Crow. He was in Alabama, southern Alabama too. So it was probably tough for my man. His father was a World War II veteran who worked as a civilian driver at nearby Air Force Base. So his dad came up in World War II. So he was already, he probably didn't get everything he was deserving of. Lonnie Johnson had to grow up in that. During, during the summer, both Johnson's parents also picked cotton on his grandfather's farm as a war vet, a war hero. Out of both interest and economic necessity, Johnson's father was a skilled handyman who taught his six children to build their own toys. When Johnson was a small boy, he and his dad built a pressurized China berry shooter, shooter out of bamboo shoots. So he was already had his, his engineering wheels turning as a young kid. Like they said, his dad used to have them build toys. That plants the seed right there. And this is what I always say. You can't be considered the smartest person if you are only highly left brain dominant which is the logical side or the calculated side, whatever. I think the smartest people, the most intelligent people have to merge creativity and book smarts, creativity and logical intelligence. You have to merge both of them and they have to both be operating at a high level for you to be one of the more intelligent people. Lonnie Johnson is an inventor. He has over 100 patents, not applications. He has, he has 100 patents. He, he's one of the most awarded patent inventor in history okay some of his more recent work include work on batteries he's been working to innovate vehicle batteries pretty much so he, he's been trying to make it so that cars can ride a lot longer on just a single charge I know last time I looked he was building like a graphene ba battery I don't know if y'all know what graphene is graphene is similar to graphite that's in a pencil you know what you write what we call lead but it's not lead It's graphite graphene is a single layer of carbon molecules, like a very, very, very thin layer in a pattern of carbon molecules or whatever. And pretty much he was making a battery out of some graphene mesh type of technology. And this thing was supposed to be a supercharge. It charged up very fast and it could take a car a thousand miles on one charge. You know, he'd been working on this for years though. He has patents for this type of technology. He has a whole bunch of patents on batteries and different energy technologies. His thing is aerospace engineering. So everything he does is on an, is on a NASA level. He used to work for NASA also. Okay. This is the type of guy he is. This is the type of guy that comes from us, comes from our greatness, comes from our community. And we need to big him up. He needs to be on every, they need to have statues of him while he's alive. They need to have schools named after him. What are we waiting on? We do not need this man to die for us to show him the love he deserves. We don't need him to die for us to big up his name the same way we big up rappers and athletes. You know what I'm saying? Just because, listen, we, we don't need anything else. He is the inventor of the super soaker. Let's put it like that. The, the, the toy water gun that revolutionized all toy guns, he invented that. 
They tried to they tried to not pay him or whatever. He got his money, a couple hundred million dollars. He's the inventor of that. Okay? This dude is serious, man. He's not playing around. And and right now, he has this uh business down in Atlanta. It's called the Johnson STEM Activity Center. And it's pretty much a program where he teaches kids about technology, robotics, engineering, and technology on the computers, programming. I mean, really, this dude is He's a superhero, man. Let me just read. Let me read our his mission. The Johnson STEM Activity Center Inc. has been serving Atlanta's children for over a decade as a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to empower students from diverse and underserved communities through exposure to science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Our students develop self-confidence and leadership skills by experiencing success while overcoming a multitude of challenges in STEM. He's a beast. I'm he's doing all of this inventing while also still teaching kids how to invent with him. And and being that this is in, in Atlanta, most of the kids benefiting from this are black. Come on, man. Like, who's doing it better than this guy? Like, you got a few people who do things on this level, but because they're quiet, y'all, like folks out there. And I'm not when I say y'all, I don't mean like the people listening to this. I mean, the, the mainstream media the larger media they might they might give him they gave him some shine on the, on on the joint when it came to some water guns and all that but this man is actually doing a lot more than that he should be in the he they should be asking him to come on on CNN all the time they should be asking him to come on the breakfast club all the time they should be asking him to come on drink champs i feel like he should be everywhere it's od man like Y'all check y'all check him out for sure. His name is Lonnie Johnson. He was in the Air Force. He worked for NASA. He went to Tuskegee. I mean, what like he has a nonprofit where he's helping black kids. He has so many patents. They have a page for him on the US Patent and Trademark Office. Like he has his own page full of all his research and uh research and development. Like that's how serious he is. He has a bio page on the patent office pay website. He's not playing. It's not a joke. Um, I'm pretty much done, y'all. I just had one more thing I wanted to get into, man, because I thought it was interesting. I'm in this group with black men, you know, a lot of black men. And there was a post that popped up. And I thought it was an interesting post. I'm going to just read it to y'all real quick. He says, hey, fellas, my mother-in-law took my son to get his hair first haircut without my wife or my permission. This really upset me and my wife because we wanted to take him to get his first haircut. I'm very upset with my mother-in-law. How would you all handle the situation? Now, I want, I want y'all to tell me how y'all would handle the situation. I'm going to tell you how I would handle it. There would be a period of time, I say a year, there would be a period of time where the mother-in-law would not be able to see my kid. You wouldn't be able to see the kid. You violated the kid. You went too far. You overstepped boundaries. When we're talking about first haircuts, and I'm not saying I'm not saying this as if the first haircut is the most important thing in the world. It's important to him, though. If it was important to me like that, where I felt like I'm very upset with you about something. OK, well, I'm going to handle it like I'm very upset in the way that I'm going to handle being very upset when you play with my kids then you can't see them. I feel like a year is fair because people who do stuff like that, they don't stop at just that. Normally, people who do stuff like that. They continually do things like that. You see it go viral a lot of times where it's like, oh, yeah, I try to be, 
a parent, but my, my grandparents always treat the kids, spoil the kids and all this type of stuff. Why do people just let grandparents spoil the kids? You don't have to let them do it. But a lot of people have to let their grandparents spoil the kids because they need the grandparents to babysit. So they know they don't want to they don't want to punish grandparents who do things like that because then who's going to watch the baby when we want to go do a date night or when we, we want to go out of town and we need somebody to sit with the kids who's going to do that that's why grandparents overstep boundaries like that you understand and when 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 people know that they have you in that type of situation they will continuously violate you and violate your rules for your kids that's how people do. Well, not that's not how people do. That's how people who do those type of things, that's how they do. They're not going to stop. So me, I feel like, okay, if you violate the rules, now you have to feel it. We're talking about a first haircut, so we're probably talking about a little kid, a one-year-old maybe. But, you know, this is black. So in black, in the black world, we normally don't do haircuts before the age of one, you know, whatever. So actually, I'm looking at the guy's picture. This is definitely an infant. So... This is probably a one-year-old that you went and took and got a haircut. What if they didn't even want to get the kid's haircut at all yet? You know, some people look at the hair as this is an ex extension of you. So they look at the hair as your strength. They don't cut hair at all. But this couple did want to cut the hair, but they wanted to do it on their own. Why would you think that it's a good idea to take somebody else's child to go get a haircut anyway? A baby, a little baby. And again, like I'm, I'm not saying that haircuts is just the most important thing in the world that you that you just got to put your foot down on. I'm saying if that's something that you care about and somebody blatantly violates you and your spouse or you and your partner or whatever, you got to have some consequences. To me, just telling a person, yo, don't do that, that's not enough when you're dealing with kids. When somebody do something with your kid, just telling them, hey, no, nah, don't do that, that's not enough. If you feel violated, if you feel like your trust was violated, if you feel like a rule that you put in place was violated, you have to do maximum punishment. It has to be serious because you cannot let people play with your kids, man. I don't, you know, I that's just my opinion. I don't feel like y'all got to follow what I think. I'm definitely not going to follow what y'all think. But y'all tell me what y'all think. I just want to know. I feel the way I feel, you know. And again, like I said, I wasn't going to keep y'all along. We 40 minutes in. Or around 40 minutes in so that's all i have for y'all today again make sure if you have any suggestions topics anything like that that you hit me up at regpodcast at gmail.com the reason i don't have any specific merch on today I, I left this regular nike hoodie on because my son slobbered on it so i'm like yeah i'm in real dad mode today dad hat or golf hat whatever you want to call it so i got slobber slobber on my joint my little baby boy you know, got his snot on me because he's sick a little bit. So I left it on, man. It is what it is. But y'all get at me. Make sure you subscribe to the regular network on YouTube. Make sure you follow the regular network on Instagram. Make sure you hit us up on Reddit at the regular topics or r slash the regular topics. Go to the regular network.com slash shop to get your merch. Go to theregularnetwork.com slash shows to see other shows. Shout out to The Comfy Couch. Shout out to Build and Destroy Daily, Expanding Culture with Kilo. All of this stuff we have going on. So more coming. Peace out.